Film listeners, I'm Josh Wall, and frankly, I love movies. Welcome to my podcast where I dissect films with fellow film enthusiasts and discuss why we love the medium so much. I got another diary entry for you guys. I'm covering the movies that I have watched and logged on Letterboxd from July 18th through July 31st. I have like 10 movies here, a fair mix of some rewatches and first watches. If you guys like the show, by all means, please make sure to rate us on your podcasting platform of choice, iTunes, Spotify, uh, Pocket Cast, or whatever it is. Please let us know what you think of the show and this new uh, form of content. I've been enjoying doing this. I hope you guys do too. Um, also, be sure to check us out on social media. Frankly, I love movies on Facebook and Instagram, and then frankly underscore podcast on Twitter. Okay, so... Starting us off on uh, July 18th, and I watched the Hulu documentary Fire Fraud, not to be confused with the Netflix documentary Fire, um, or The Greatest Party That Never Happened. Um, It's the dueling fire festival documentaries. I watched the Netflix one sometime last year, I think, when I, uh, I did like a little binge of music festival documentaries, so I watched like that, and the Woodstock 99 documentary on HBO, and Gimme Shelter, it's an interesting binge there, but uh, I I really enjoyed that Netflix one, it was really interesting, Um, both of these come from people who were directly involved in the festival, the Netflix one is by the Fuck Jerry Media Company, um, and this is by, I I think, I, I can't remember the name of the media company that is involved in this, but it's also, it was involved, also involved in fire in, in one way or another. Uh, as I said, I really liked that one on Netflix. I thought it was a very well-told story and had a good amount of emotion, but also showing how uh, the interesting mindset of people who went to the festival. Uh, this Hulu one, though, I was a little interested to go into it because I heard it wasn't as good as the Netflix one. Uh, it's the lesser of the two, and it's uh, it's also interesting because they actually interviewed Billy McFarlane, the kind of ringleader in this whole fiasco, and I wasn't really sure how that was going to go. Uh, but I was interested. I was like, I like these kind of documentaries. It'll at least be told in an interesting way. Uh, and uh, if interesting means terrible, then I was correct. This movie is really bad. This is not a good documentary. It basically covers the same amount of information that the Netflix one does. You get pretty much the same story. The Netflix one goes in a bit more of how Fuck Jerry, the media company, was involved in it, obviously because they're kind of trying to cover their asses and go through very detailed ways in how they were involved. Um, and that, you know, has its own moral misgivings uh, than this one does. This one, though, it it was just really not enjoyable to watch. Like, it highlights the importance of social media and is giving a very positive light to social media and its use in our society. And if you believe that, that's fine. But it's hard to not focus also on the cancerous aspect of it and I say cancerous because there's so many images they put like it is directed as if it's like a social social media like Twitter Instagram feed and that's not interesting it's honestly it's very tiring like it's uh it's an exhausted it's an exhaustive documentary and I just didn't enjoy watching it it also like goes to a lot of painstaking lengths to show you that social media jobs are cool 
And I don't really think that gives the vibe that they want. I think it comes off a lot more unintentionally funny and kind of laughable. Yeah, I just was not on board with this. It wasn't enjoyable. It was just kind of going through the information and adding their own opinions on social media. And uh, um, the interview with McFarland is so strange. It really doesn't give them the answers that they're looking for. And I don't think they're going into this like they're definitely trying to expose how much of a sociopath this guy is. And I think they do. Sure. But it's just so strange. You know, I think it makes, again, more for a comical interview on the documentary on the documentarian's part than it is like look oh my god look at what this guy's doing isn't it crazy like I'm not I wasn't in awe or like taken away or taken aback by any of the uh the information that was shown to me in this documentary um and the the Netflix one did do that um so I just I just think this one was a was a big miss I gave it one and a half stars I did not like it I really didn't like the style the way the story's told it really tries to make it as if social media is cool and interesting, and it just comes across as forced, and I did not enjoy it. So one and a half stars on that one. The next day, I started a little bit of an Italian neo-realist binge because I was gearing up for a big podcast with Matt Simmons that I'll talk about in a second. Um, so I went through a few films on the Criterion Channel Italian neo-realist collection, the first one being Germany Year Zero, which I watched on July 19th. This is directed by Roberto Rossellini, who's one of the main figures of the Italian neorealist movement. Uh, this film follows a child as he is navigating post-World War II Germany and trying to fend for his family as they go through some complications in this post-war world. I really like this film. I actually thought it was pretty interesting. I gave it three and a half stars. I had watched um, Rossellini's um, film before this, which was um, Rome Open City, which I loved. And that's kind of one of the the movies that brought Italian neorealists to the world because it won the Palme d'Or at Cannes, which is the highest prize. And I really loved that movie. And this movie is admittedly very different. It's This movie is very short. It's an hour and like 12 minutes or something like that. Rome Open City is much longer. And that movie is a lot more structured. It goes through kind of a, I don't want to say typical narrative structure or style, but there are clear turns and breaks in the acts and in the story. This one, though, is a bit more of a meandering tale, Germany Year Zero. You're following this child, which is another aspect of Italian neorealism. Um, you know, the, uh, the empathy and the automatic humanity of putting youth in this world. Um, and again, it's much shorter and I enjoyed the meandering aspect. It is a very interesting story. The pacing is a bit off. I will say it is, even though it is shorter in length, my interest definitely started to drift a bit. I think I enjoyed the last 20 minutes the most and the first 20 minutes. I liked those about equally because I liked the introduction of the world. I liked in getting introduced to the family, everyone's um, character development and their positions and all that. And then the ending ends in a, in a very heartbreaking kind of way. But yeah, I think that the middle kind of 45 minutes or so is, uh, is a bit slow. And I like slow burn cinema, but my interest in this kind of didn't hold. 
because this one doesn't have a single driving force as some of the other Italian neorealist films do. This one is kind of just going a kid going from person to person and um, setting to setting without any real uh, drive. At least that's what I got in the first viewing. Maybe people will disagree. I don't know. But that's not to say I didn't like this film. Like I said, three and a half stars. I still really enjoyed it. I found it successful as a whole. And I'm glad I watched it because, again, it, it's told from a child's perspective. It is very, like, ground level. Um, and it's also interesting to set this one in Germany as opposed to Italy, giving a different perspective to this whole post-war, this post-war setting. Um, and I liked it. Uh, it. It just didn't wow me as I thought I was going, as I was expecting it to. But three and a half stars, I still found it successful and I really enjoyed it. Three days later, on July 22nd, I continued the Italian neorealist binge with The Children Are Watching Us. This is directed um, by Vittorio De Secca from 1944. This one, similar to Rome Open City, also follows a child um, in Italy. This is, so 1944, this is during the war. They don't focus on the war as much uh, as in other stories of this genre, but it's about a child who's kind of navigating uh, his family life in the push and pull of his neglectful mother and father. This movie is phenomenal. I gave it four and a half stars. I gave it the like. I really, really loved it. It's definitely one of the standouts of the genre for me, and uh, what I really loved about it, I thought the performances all were really great, especially because, you know, a staple of neorealism is that it's stories told from non-actors' perspectives, and especially when you're putting the story in the hands of a child, you can get some not-so-great performances, but this movie really nailed it. I think the child performance is fantastic. I think the parents are both really interesting. You get a good sense of where they're both coming from, not to say in, like, a parasite way where you, you know, you go back and forth of whether they're good or bad. They're both pretty shitty, but it makes for a very interesting story. And the standout to me is DeSeca's direction. The way he tells the story is so interesting. He has like a lot of very modern techniques that he's using with stripped down storytelling tools. Like he's, he's he knows he's making a movie in 1944, but he's using directing choices that became way more popular later. Like he's using a lot of cool dream vision like crossfades of so many images covering a lot of information and getting into a character's psyche and i just loved it and it's such it's a story that moves i loved the children are watching us definitely check it out it's on the criterion channel like i said four and a half stars and the like button okay next up uh i actually did an interesting double feature on the 22nd so i watched that during the day and then later that night i wanted to kind of wind down and watch one of my favorite new genres that I've gotten into, which is climbing documentaries, like rock climbing and alpinism and all of that, free soloing, all of that I've gotten really interested in, and there are a lot of great documentaries out there, um, and I'll talk about a couple of them here, um, but the, this first one was one that I hadn't seen before. This was a first watch for me. Um, that's called The Beckoning Silence. It's from 2007. I watched it on Amazon Prime. It's all about Joe Simpson, who had a really bad climbing accident um, in his youth, and he tells this story of a very famous mountaineering tragedy um, along the same mountain that he is attempting to climb, um, which is the north face of the Eiger. Um, I can't remember where. I think it's in the Alps, I, I believe. And you get flashbacks and recreations of this story that Simpson is telling, as well as watching him climb. I didn't really like this movie all that much. It's probably the least interesting climbing documentary that I've seen up until this point. 
I'm not a big fan of whether it's in, you know, documentaries or um, even in like certain podcasts. I'm not a huge fan of reenactments. Um, and this in particular, like the story itself, if it was just told to me, I would think it was really interesting. But the way that it's told in this movie is not very interesting. Um, it's not captivating. It's not very tension filled. You can tell it's made on a low budget. And I understand that movies, you can tell movies, certain movies are made on a low budget, but this is to its detriment. I didn't really like the cutting away. I, I kind of wish like the story was just this story because like 85% of it is this tragic mountaineering story. And then the other half of, and then the other 15% of it is Joe Simpson just being like, yeah, and I connect to this because I, you know, fell when I was climbing once. And I'm not trying to diminish that, you know, horrific incident because, you know, that obviously is incredibly formative and terrifying to go through. But it was really, really hard for me to give a shit about this guy. I really couldn't care about him because he's telling the story and it's interesting how he's like, oh, this is a story that held my attention ever since I was a kid. But the main focus of him is for him to just circle back around and be like, I understand this. I know that uh, I know what they met, went through because I fell and now I'm going to try and do the climbing that they couldn't do. Like, it was just like, I couldn't, I couldn't keep my interest. It honestly kind of felt like it was in bad taste at points. Like it didn't, it wasn't right. It did not feel right. I gave it two stars. I did not give it a like. I recommend skipping this one if you're interested in climbing documentaries. There's another one that I'm going to talk about in a minute that I think you should check out. But this one just really fell flat for me. Um, it was pretty short. I'll give it that. I think it's like under 90 minutes, but like I just, it really felt longer because I wasn't interested in it and I wanted to finish it. Maybe there was a turn, but like, again, the reenactments just was not a smart move and making it trying to balance between this story of the past and this guy now just did not work for me, unfortunately. So it was a very interesting double feature. <laughs> Uh, between an Italian neorealist and um, a climbing documentary. I wouldn't say there's a lot of similarities between those two films, um, but maybe you know if you want to take the challenge and try and find similarities between them, by all means, go for it. The next day, on July 23rd, I was hanging out with a former film guest and a good, good friend of mine, Lexi Cutmore. We were at her house, and we were flipping through channels, and we wanted to watch something nostalgic, kind of, from our childhood. We were all so high, so we decided, you know, to kind of settle in for something a bit more comforting, and um, came across, and inevitably, when you are under the influence, I think the best way to watch something is, if you're picking something, either pick it beforehand, so you settle on it, or you go through, and you just land on it, and you're just like, that's it. That's what we're watching, and you just go into it. And when you're traveling through the A to Z section of HBO Max, you're probably just going to stay in A. You're not going to get it very far. But so we, we landed on the 2005 Ice Cube film, Are We There Yet? Um, which I have seen before. I remember seeing this. I, I, I didn't see it in theaters, but I rented it on DVD back when it came out, and I watched it with like my brother and my grandma or something like that. Um, and I hadn't seen it since. That was the only time I saw it. It never really stayed with me. It was not a staple of my childhood. I remember seeing the trailer everywhere, but I never, this was never like really one that, that stuck with me. Um, but we had a fun time kind of riffing on it. It's, it's not a good movie. It really isn't. It's ridiculous. It's very, very 2005. It's, I gave it one and a half stars and yeah, you can 
totally tell that it was made in the uh, mid-aughts. Everything about it, the clothing, the car that he's driving, the jokes, the references, the cast, like just everything about it screams 2005 kids movie. Um, It's so nonsensical. It's incredibly ridiculous. Like I said, I think we had a really fun time just riffing on it and joking uh, over it. But I know that if I were to just watch it like as is just on a random day, I wouldn't enjoy it. Um, And I understand why I didn't like it as a kid. Because there's not really a whole lot to latch on to, honestly. Like, it just, it tries to make jokes, it tries to do gags, and then it just moves on. There's a terrible CGI bobblehead in there. I can't remember who the player is. It's like a baseball player that Ice Cube really likes. He's like his friend, and he talks to him. Oh my god, it's so weird, and it's so gross. It's so, it's such bad CGI. It's just, ugh, it was so bad to look at. I hated it, I hated it. Um... I will say the thing that made us laugh the most is there's a scene. There's like this truck driver character because the whole point of the movie is like Ice Cube is taking Neil Long's kids on a cross country trip from Oregon to um, Vancouver, I believe. And they you know get into various misadventures as they go along. And one of them is that they're at a um, this truck driver um, is like trailing them. Because the kids, like, when they don't like Ice Cube, they're trying to say, like, this guy's kidnapping us, help us, you know? So the truck driver tries to run him off the road, and then, um, but then towards the end of the movie, when they start to like each other, they're like, okay, and then this truck driver comes back, and he's like, give me them kids, you know? It's very weird. They ki- he kidnaps the kids. It's insane. And so um, Ice Cube's on the side of the road, and he's trying to stop, like, other people to get him, like, to give him a ride. And he stops this guy, who's also driving a truck, like a, like a, like a company truck or something like that. And he goes like, are you crazy, man? And Ice Cube's like, look, man, that truck, that truck kidnapped my kids. We got to get him. And the truck driver goes, well, hop in. I'll help you. <laughs> and we just couldn't, like, uh, the utmost amount of enthusiasm, the uh, just an amount of enthusiasm that was so unnecessary, it just destroyed us. We had to rewind it a couple times to watch it. We were laughing so hard. Um, but yeah, other than that, uh, it's not a good movie. So one and a half stars for Are We There Yet? I don't know if I'll watch Are We Done Yet? I remember watching that as well and really not liking it because like it, that's like a sequel that just doesn't make sense because like Are We There Yet? is a road trip movie. Are We Done Yet? is like he's building a house or something like that and he's like doing home improvement. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Something like that. Um, But yeah, so, so that's what I think of Are We There Yet? If you were if you were wondering. Um. On July 24th, it did another double feature. Um, this first one is not a movie, but uh, I do like to log these because, you know, I, I'm i a big fan of stand-up, and I've been trying my hand at it recently. I showed my mom and brother Taylor Tomlinson's Look At You special, which is her newest special from, I think it came out in March of this year. I love Taylor Tomlinson. She's, like, one of my favorite new comedians working right now. She's so incredibly funny. Both of her specials are, are terrific. Quarter Life Crisis and this one, Look At You. This one was way funnier the second time around. I gave it four stars. I gave it a like. Like I said, this was my second time watching it. My family really liked it too, which was really exciting because like their sense of humor can be a bit different than mine. So I was a little like, are they going to like this? But I thought I figured I was like, no, this is a good this is a good one um, for them to watch because I think they will relate to a lot of this. And, you know, what she talks about with mental health and family and all of that was hit home for my for my for my folks. And they really liked it. 
Um, if you haven't seen it, both of her specials are on Netflix. I think I like Quarter Life Crisis a little bit more, but this one still is really, really great. And I'm just so happy that she's getting more attention and, you know, people seem to like really enjoy her. So I'm all for Taylor Tomlinson. She's fantastic. So like I said, I gave this one four stars. I gave it a like. Um, so to go check that out if you haven't. And then, uh, later that night I rewatched House because, um, I finally recorded the episode with uh, my friend Alex uh, the next day. That episode will be coming out very soon. Um, I understood more of what I was going to say for the episode after watching this. I gave it four and a half stars. I upped it another half star because I really loved it. I loved it even more the second time around. I'm really glad I rewatched it and let it sit. It's a lot more opened up for me. I gave it the like. I understood what I loved about it. I don't want to get into too much about it because we had a really rich conversation about the content of the movie, but I realized why I love it so much is because it's just an episode of Scooby-Doo. And if you go in expecting that, you're going to really enjoy it, especially if, obviously if you like Scooby-Doo. But if you go in expecting like, okay, all of these characters have their own very specific character traits and they're just trying to like kind of solve this ghostly mystery, that's what House is. That's what Scooby-Doo is. It's very obviously just incredibly uh, scary, but it's so fun like it's 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 weird listen to our episode and that comes out because we had a great time dissecting it um and i really love this film now so four and a half stars gave it the like it was a great rewatch and again i'm just glad i rewatched it because i don't know what i would have thought if we just went into it with just one one watch um so the timing worked out so we have three more films to talk about these next two are rewatches but the last one is a first watch i'm very excited for these next three so um, going back to the climbing documentary genre, on July 25th, I watched The Alpinist on Netflix. Um, this is about the uh, alpinist climber uh, Jean-Marc Leclerc from uh, British Columbia, Canada. And uh, if you're not familiar, alpinism is essentially the type of rock climbing that mixes solid rock, snow, and ice. So it's considered the most dangerous sector of climbing. Um, he does it free solo and in the worst possible conditions. It's it's just insane. Um, and this documentary is really great. It's got a lot of heart. It's really sweet. It's heartbreaking. Um, it is a portrait of a really interesting, one-of-a-kind individual, Marc-Andre Leclerc. You know, he's at the forefront in like pretty much every scene in this movie. And you just love learning about him and the talking heads in the documentary really have a lot of love for him as well. And the way that the documenter the documentarians put themselves in to this story is actually feels very seamless and necessary. And it was really great to rewatch it. I think I liked it on this watch a lot more than I did the first watch too. I really liked it the first time, but this one uh, really nailed it for me is this is one of the best climbing docs. I think like, I know a lot of people go to like free solo because that won the Oscar free solo. Honestly, like didn't hold up for me as well on the second watch as it did the first time, but this and the Dawn wall, I think those are the two climbing docs that I think everyone should see. Yeah, this one's on Netflix. It's got beautiful footage. I mean, that's the kind of the main draw of a lot of climbing documentaries is just beautiful scenery and just incredible shots of, you know, people on mountains and like big objects and a little man, you know, like stuff like that. But it is beautiful and like amazing scenery. So, yeah, so that was that was really great. Four stars. Guy gave it the like um, and moving on <laughs> on July 26th. 
I rewatched the final Italian neorealist film uh, in this list before the podcast with Matt Simmons, and that is Bicycle Thieves. Um, yes, we went back pretty far for that episode. It was a really great conversation with him. I, again, I won't spoil too much about our conversation, but I mean, this movie is one of the greatest movies ever made for a reason. It's a five-star film. It is an absolute like. It's an incredible, incredible film. I, I watched it for the first time back last year in 2021, and then rewatching it now, it was just, um, just as good. It's so heartbreaking and so emotional, but it's such a very well-told, structured story. Um, it's one of the greats for a reason. Again, this was directed by um, Vittorio De Sica, an incredible storyteller. If you've never seen Bicycle Thieves, I highly recommend it. Our episode on that's going to be coming out very soon. Yeah, it's one of the it's one of the greatest. It's one of my favorite black and white films. It's just an incredible, incredible movie. So please go see it. All right, I know I said we had three more movies, but I actually realized that there was one that I forgot to log. So I'm going to do kind of a quick logging of it now. Um, my friend and former film guest Matt Clement, he you can listen to him on the uh, on the Whiplash episode. Uh, he came to visit me for five days, um, and we spent a lot of time together just hanging out. And on July 29th, uh, we uh, decided to watch another climbing documentary. So three climbing documentaries this <laughs> this uh, this time in this entry, but um, this one I hadn't seen, so this was a first watch for both of us. It's on Netflix. It's called 14 Peaks. It's about a group of um, Neapolitan explorers who, um, or they're not even really explorers. This was like their first expedition. They decided to climb all 14 peaks that go above 8,000 meters um, in seven months, which is just insane. And um, <laughs> this documentary is bonkers because it is one of those that like every single point or story beat in the movie, every turn, every development, every challenge gets overcome. And every time it becomes an issue, you're like, and they overcome it. You're like, this isn't real. This can't be real. But obviously, you know, it, it is, at least to my knowledge, it is. Um, it was very entertaining. It was very, um, I, I don't want to say predictable, but I kind of figured that everything was going to turn out okay just by the way of how the documentary is told. I don't really think that's a spoiler because um, just because of the way the documentary is structured right from the get-go, it's very optimistic and it's very um, told in a safe way. Not that there aren't some crazy turns in the story and challenges that they can't overcome. But for the most part, you know, after a while I was like, okay, this, they're making this seem like a big, a big deal or big drama. They're going to get through it. And then, and then they ended up doing so. Um, so it was a little bit underwhelming in that sense, but we still enjoyed it. I would say like, it's a, it's a well-made documentary has a lot of great scenery and the story is again, just incredibly insane and unique. So, I would say I would give it like three and a half stars. I don't know if I would give it the like because I don't see myself returning to it. But we had a good time. We thought it was interesting. So I would say three and a half stars. That one is also on Netflix. So check that out if you're um, interested. Okay. We have reached the final film. I'm sure a lot of you have thought throughout this diary entry is like, why doesn't he watch more new movies? He's doing a lot of like old movies, some rewatches. Um, does he go to the theater? I do. I go to the theater quite often. If you remember my last diary entry, I saw the Black Phone in theaters twice. And I saw the Minions, and I saw Elvis, 
And what movie is in theaters now that I had to see, but I had to wait because I knew I needed to see it with Matt? That is, of course, Jordan Peele's Nope. We saw it in theaters on July 31st. It's the perfect way to end this diary entry with a new film and one of the best movies of the year so far. This movie is tremendous. It's so, 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 so good um, and super interesting. Peele, like, always outdoes himself and... Uh, I just had an absolute blast with this movie. I went into it knowing that some people really liked it. Other people were a bit conflicted on it. But I also went in not knowing a whole lot about it, which is the best way to do so. Um, And I was worried that the trailers were giving a bit too much away. They actually don't. And I appreciate that. Um, The way the story unfolds, you get so much information and the, the certain background stories of, like, characters and the actors are so good. Like... I loved everything, and again, I'm not going to spoil anything, don't worry, if you haven't seen it, no spoilers. I really love Stephen Young's character, I thought his performance was really great. I love that his career has just gone in a really great uphill trajectory, but they do a really a whole lot with his character, and feeding into what the movie all is like trying to get at, and it has like a really scary scene attributed to it, this is, definitely ha- it definitely has some scares to it, but it is a bit more of a psychological thriller because of how you're thinking about everything that's being given to you. Daniel Kaluuya, great as always. Bit subdued performance from him as opposed to um, Get Out and Judas and uh, Widows. But he's really good here. Like, you can feel the relationship that he has with Kiki Palmer, and she's really great too, surprisingly. I've never been the biggest Kiki Palmer fan, but she was really great. She brought a lot of energy. She was really giving, like, giving it her all, and I really liked their relationship. You could feel like they were siblings and that they worked well together and had a lot of history behind their relationship. There's a lot going on in this movie. There are a lot of ideas. It's not something that every single thing fits into a straight interpretation about it. Even my own personal interpretation, which I won't necessarily get into because, again, it may involve spoilers, so I don't want to ruin that for you. So there are some things that like don't fully add up. You're kind of left the theater with questions unanswered. Um, specific things about the ending, certain things about the antagonist, I'll say, that the movie is centered around. Not everything is going to have a clear answer. And I think you should understand that going into a Jordan Peele movie at this point. You know, Get Out had a lot of questions unanswered. So did Us. Um, Less so than this movie, I would say. This movie leaves a lot open to interpretation, which I appreciate. Um, But know that if you go into this movie kind of accepting that, I think you're going to have a great time. And I certainly did, and so did Matt. Matt saw it again a couple days ago and said he really liked it again. Makes it a lot more clear on the second watch. A lot more things come to light. And so I'm, I'm very excited to see it again. Um, So I gave it four and a half stars. I gave it the like. Without spoiling anything, here is what my small piece of interpretation of this movie is. Again, I don't think this is a spoiler. I think this is incredibly general. It does not get into any specific plot points. And it does not give away any reveals. None of that. But I think this is a movie about making movies. I think Jordan Peele is really grappling with his position as director and working through the art form that he finds himself in and has gained a lot of success. So that is my most non-spoiler, generic, general way possible. That's what I think he's trying to do with this movie. There's a lot, like I said, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of themes. There's a lot of ideas. There's a lot of messages that one can find. And maybe my interpretation will change on in the second viewing. I don't know. 
But that's what I saw in this first viewing. Um, and I'm very, very excited to see it again. I hope you guys go out to see it. It is a movie for movie theaters. It's a loud movie. It is a movie to see in a dark room with a bunch of strangers. Luckily, our theater had um, had a good amount of people in it. Um, there were some people talking like a fair amount, like whispering to each other. They were very much like on a whole other planet. They were so high, but they were all the way up in the back corner. And it was a bit annoying at parts, but luckily it didn't totally distract from the um, from the movie. And you could still focus on information being given to you and and the story that's unfolding. And so luckily it didn't ruin anything. But this was still such a great movie to see in theaters. So please go out and see it. Please go support it. Please make your own opinions. Please come to your own conclusions. That's what this movie is for. So nope, four and a half stars. Gave it the like. Can't wait to see it again. That's it. That's the diary entry, guys. We got through 11 films. I've been really enjoying doing these diary entries. I hope you guys have liked them too, just to give you guys quick reviews and updates on what I've been watching in my free time. As I said, please make sure to give us a like and rating on your podcasting platform of choice. Follow us on social media, and please enjoy movies. Go see movies. There's a lot of change in the industry right now with streaming. All this HBO Max stuff just came out yesterday, and I don't even want to get into it right now, but please watch movies. Please go support movies. It's an art form that is in a lot of trouble right now. They're always going to be around, but there's so much going on with movies right now that Please go see theaters. Please get physical media. Just enjoy yourself in storytelling. Thank you guys, as always, for being the best. I'm Josh Wall, and frankly, I love movies. Movies.